0: Section One of the Lives of the Queens of England, Volume Eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume Eight, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. Henrietta Maria, Chapter One, Part One when the beautiful daughter of henry the great became the bride of charles I, two centuries had elapsed since france had given a queen consort to england the last was margaret of anjou that queen of tears perhaps the crowned miseries of margaret had offered an alarming precedent to her countrywomen of high degree for though several french princesses had been wooed by english monarchs not one had accepted the crown matrimonial of england till in sixteen twenty five henrietta maria wedded charles and at the same time became the partaker of a destiny so sad and calamitous that she in the climax of her sorrows surnamed herself la reine Malheureuse. the father of this princess was the most illustrious sovereign in europe she was the youngest child of henry the fourth of france and of his second wife, Marie de Medicis. Unfortunately, the mind of the Italian queen was by no means congenial with that of the royal hero of France. She was weak, bigoted, and petulant, and to the failings in her character, most of the future misfortunes of her children may be traced. Neither was Marie de Medicis, well treated by her husband, and perpetual jealousy and flagrant wrongs did not improve her disposition one great point of dispute between the royal pair was that henry the fourth had never permitted his wife to be crowned although she had brought him a beautiful family consisting of three living sons and two daughters he used to say himself that his children were the prettiest creatures in the world and that his happiest moments were passed in playing with them Nevertheless, a weak superstition prevented this great monarch from settling some disputes regarding his marriage with their mother by consenting that her coronation should take place. The queen obtained this concession just before she added to his family a sixth child and third daughter, by the birth of the subject of this biography. The princess was born at the Louvre, November 25th, New Style, 1609. The king, his ministers and council, with all the princes of the blood, were, as usual, present at the birth of the royal infant, who was, according to custom, presented to her father before being dressed. Henry took the babe, held it up, acknowledged her as his offspring, and then delivered her to the royal governess, Madame de Monglat, who had thus received all her brothers and sisters at the time of their births. This lady then retired to dress the little princess the babe was reared in the same nursery with her brother gaston who was at that time an infant about fifteen months old while the queen kept her chamber after the birth of this child by her tears and importunities she induced her royal husband to give orders that her coronation should take place directly after her recovery meantime the infant had a grand baptism she was presented at the font by the cardinal maffeo barberini the papal nuncio at paris afterwards the celebrated pope urban the eighth who was one of the most learned men in italy and an elegant poet this sponsor gave the princess the name of henrietta maria called in france henriette marie she was the most lovely of a lovely family she was the darling of her illustrious father being the child of his old age his name child and she resembled him in features and liveliness more than any other of his family Henrietta was just five months old when all the preparations for the long-delayed coronation of her mother were completed at the Abbey of Saint-Denis. Henry IV still put off the ceremonial as long as he could, for some fortune-tellers, who were most likely bribed by his audacious mistress, Madame de Verneuil, had predicted that he would not survive his queen's coronation one day. Strange it is that the mind of so great a man should be liable to such weakness, but so it was it is probable that the rumor of this prediction and of the importance that the king placed on it first excited the insane fanatic who murdered him to fulfil it and thus it brought its own accomplishment this fatal coronation at last took place on may thirteenth sixteen ten notwithstanding her tender age the infant henriette was present at st denis she was held in her nurse's arms on one side of her mother's throne and was surrounded by her elder brothers and sisters who likewise assisted at the grand ceremonial and were with her recognized as the children of france these were louis the dauphin who became a few hours after louis the thirteenth elizabeth afterwards the wife of philip the third of spain henry duke of orleans who died young christine afterwards married to the duke of savoy and the infant gaston duke of anjou so well known in history afterwards as duke of orleans the king and his children returned to paris after the coronation but the queen remained at the abbey in order to make her grand entry into paris on the following monday which was considered the most important part of the pageant the next day the mind of henry the fourth was utterly overwhelmed and depressed by the remembrance of the prediction which threatened him and to divert his thoughts he ordered his youngest son gaston in whose infant frolics he took the greatest delight and the baby princess Henriette, to be brought to him. And in the wholesome relaxation of playing with these dear ones, the hero recovered his usual hilarity, and despising his superstitious fears, he went out as usual in his coach, through the streets of Paris. He was brought home pierced to the heart, by the knife of the maniac regicide, Ravaillac. Thus was our Henriette, with all France, rendered fatherless." The whole of the dreary night of the fourteenth of may the melancholy and terrified inmates of the louvre kept watch and ward over the body of their murdered king and his little children at first it was believed that the blow was struck by some political enemy and that a great insurrection would succeed the royal little ones the eldest of whom louis the thirteenth was but nine years old were barricaded in the guard-room of the louvre and the king's guards in armour and with their partisans crossed surrounded them during this awful vigil all hearts beat high with anxiety and no eyes closed except those of the infant henriette whose peaceful slumbers in her nurse's arms formed a contrast to the alarm around her it was soon discovered that the murder of Henry the Great arose from private malice or madness, and that all the French people mourned his loss as much as his family, on which the royal children were restored to their mother, and returned to their usual apartments. There the little Henriette remained secluded until the 25th of June following, the day she was six months old, when her great father's obsequies took place. She was carried forth in the arms of Madame Manglotte, and made one in the long doleful procession from paris to st denis she was required personally to assist in the sad solemnity and a spurge being put into her innocent hand she was made to sprinkle his murdered corpse with holy water in that part of the funeral ceremony where the nearest relatives and friends of the deceased walk in procession round the bier and perform this picturesque act of the remembrance it is still a national custom in normandy for infants to be thus carried the next public appearance of the royal babe was at the coronation of the little king her brother louis the thirteenth which took place in the cathedral of rheims october seventeenth sixteen ten when she was little more than ten months old henriette was carried at this ceremony in the arms of the princess of Condé, herself a historical character of no little interest the princess of Condé had just returned with her high-spirited husband from exile in flanders whither the lawless passion of the late king had driven them since the death of henry the great his widow had been appointed to the regency of france during the minority of the little king then the folly and weakness of her character became manifest by her conduct in dismissing her husband's popular ministers and exalting her own unworthy countryman and domestic concini to the head of the french government this outrage produced the natural consequence of a violent insurrection led by the princes of the blood the little henriette and the rest of the royal children were hurried from paris to fontainebleau till the faction was appeased it was the first movement of civil war which never ceased to rage in france during the domination of marie de medicis as queen-regent Blois and Fontainebleau were the two palaces where henriette resided chiefly in her infancy about twelve months afterwards the duke of orleans the second brother of henriette sickened and died a great outcry was made against monsieur le maitre the physician who attended on the royal infants for no one connected with royalty was believed in the age of crime and slander to die by the visitation of god but all by the malice of man the consequence was that the queen-regent was forced to effect a temporary reconciliation with the relatives of her royal husband and invite all the princes and princesses of the blood to see the five surviving children before the little henriette had completed her third year she was carried to the nuptial festival of her eldest sister elizabeth with the king of spain which was kept with the utmost splendour at the palace of the place royale henry the fourth from the first moments of their existence had with his own hands severally consigned his infants to the care of madame de a lady who was distantly related to the queen the beautiful daughter of madame de monglotte who was about the same age with the elder princesses had an appointment in the nursery of henriette she exercised through life no little influence over her mind the young king who was treated with great severity by the queen-regent was excessively fond of madame de Monglatte and called her mamanga and the princess henriette called mademoiselle de Manglatte, who superintended her infant toilet and arrangements by the same endearing appellation as we shall see in her letters the word is an italian amplification of endearment meaning mamma the children of france had probably learned it from the lips of their italian mother meantime the love of the infant henriette for her own mother amounted to passion for with the partiality often noted in weak parents the queen indulged her not a little and probably spoiled her of all persons that ever reigned marie de medicis was the worst calculated to train a future queen consort for england and the sorrows of her daughter in future life doubtless were aggravated by the foolish notions of the infallibility of sovereigns which had been instilled into her young mind. Henriette and her young brother, Gaston, received the practical part of their education from Monsieur de Brevis, a very learned man who had been attached to several embassies. How this nobleman managed the princess is not known. He controlled her brother Gaston by tying a rod to his sash when he deserved punishment there is a miniature oil painting in beautiful preservation to be seen at this hour with other curiosities in the hotel de cluny at paris which quaintly represents the princess and her brother gaston in their childhood their mother queen marie de medicis is seated at dinner in a chamber at the louvre or perhaps the place royale the croissy windows open on a garden with orange trees and embroidered parterres to the left of the royal dinner table is a state bed of scarlet velvet with a scarlet velvet counterpane the queen sits at the head of the table in a grand velvet fauteu madame de manglet is at dinner seated at her left hand and in an angle screened from general observation by the draperies of the queen and their governess are seated both in the same low chair very near to the ground the petite madame princess henriette and the petite monsieur gaston duke of orleans They are about the ages of three and four, but their costumes are according to the usages of the era grotesque miniatures of the reigning fashions. The little henriette wears the ruff, the hood cap and puffed sleeves of that era, and her childish brother has the broad beaver hat looped up a scarlet velvet cloak and hose. The conduct of this infant cavalier is by no means in unison with his mature garb. The queen has just given her little ones somewhat from the dinner-table henriette holds on her lap the dish out of which both are eating she looks askance on gaston somewhat disdainfully without condescending to turn her head for he has abstracted a large piece more than his share from the dish and is devouring it greedily the little princess seems equally shocked at his breach of etiquette as at his gluttony she is in the act of raising her elbow to admonish him the expression of her face is most amusing the queen in profile slyly notes the proceedings of her infants two beautiful maids of honour wait behind them the whole piece gives a lively picture of the queen regent's court in home life no male attendant is present in the scene the religious education of the princess henriette was guided by an enthusiastic carmelite nun called Mare magdalene she visited this votary at stated times during her childhood and consulted her constantly respecting her conduct in life it is possible that the carmelite might be sincere and virtuous and yet not calculated to form a character destined to a path in life so difficult as that of a roman catholic queen in protestant england the taste for solid learning in the education of princesses was somewhat on the decline in the seventeenth century and in the place of the elaborate pedantry which had prevailed in the preceding age the lighter acquirements were cultivated. Henriette and her playfellow, Duke Gaston, had inherited inclinations for the fine arts from their Medicean ancestors. They were distinguished for passionate love of painting, practical skill in architecture, and scientific knowledge of music. In afterlife, the princess Henriette lamented her ignorance of history to Madame de Motville, declaring that she had had to learn her lessons of human life and character solely from her own sad experience, which was acquired too late, when the irrevocable past governed her destiny. Marie Antoinette made nearly the same observation when educating her children in the doleful prison of the temple. The ancient pedantry had at least the advantage of introducing its pupils to the starting facts contained in the pages of Tacitus and Livy in place of such acquirements the youngest daughter of france learned to dance exquisitely in the court ballets and to cultivate a voice which was by nature so sweet and powerful that if she had not been a queen she might have been as mr disraeli truly observes prima donna of europe the education of the young princess was perpetually interrupted by the recurrence of some gorgeous state pageant or other in which her presence was required When she was but six years old her mother took her to bordeaux to be present at the imposing ceremonial of delivering her eldest sister elizabeth to the young king of spain as his wife and receiving in exchange anne of austria the spanish bride of louis the thirteenth the family intercourse between henriette and her sister-in-law anne of austria thus began at a very tender age and she was domesticated with this sister-in-law most intimately for ten years before she left France. The political position of the Princess Henriette as a younger daughter, in a country where the Salic Law prevailed, did not seem to authorize her mother in thus perpetually bringing her before the public. Perhaps the Queen Regent used her infantine beauty, and the passionate tenderness with which it was well known, the people of France regarded this child of their great Henry as a means of counteracting her own deserved unpopularity. With this view, the young princess formed one in the Grand Entry of Paris, which took place in the pacification between the Queen Regent and the Princes of the Blood, May 11th, 1616. This peace proved but a short respite in the Civil War which desolated France during the Regency of Marie de Medicis her reign was however soon after brought to a conclusion by the slaughter of her favourite concini and the assumption of power by the boy king of france and his boy minister the duke of Lunay. the queen-mother was sent under restraint to the castle of Blois, where her captivity was softened by the society of her favourite daughter nearly three years of the life of the princess henriette was passed in this seclusion till she was drawn from her mother's prison to be present at the wedlock of her second sister christine with the duke of savoy henriette was not suffered to return to her mother after this ceremony she was the only unmarried daughter of france and her own marriage now became matter of consideration by her brother's ministry the next year sixteen twenty a reconciliation was effected between the queen-mother marie de medicis and her son louis the thirteenth by means of her almoner who afterwards obtained such notoriety as cardinal richelieu she acquired more influence in the government of france than ever and of course took a decided part in the disposal of her daughter the count of soissons the younger prince of the conde branch of the royal family pretended to the hand of the princess very pertinaciously he claimed it in reward of his great service at the siege of rochelle his addresses were not discouraged although hopes were entertained that the young princess would become queen of Great Britain. This prospect did not appear till after the marriage between Charles, Prince of Wales, only surviving son of James I, was broken off with the long in Infanta. The early youth of Charles has already been detailed in the biography of his mother, Anne of Denmark. We left him, in 1619, by her deathbed. Since that time, he had become the most elegant and accomplished prince in Europe, both in mind and person deeply impressed with the idea that a man's affections must be possessed by his wedded partner whether he were prince or peasant if he had any hopes of leading a virtuous and happy domestic life he had early set his mind on wooing in person the bride to whom his hand was destined the scottish princes since the time of their high-spirited ancestor james v had shown consideration to the feelings of the princesses they had married seldom known in the annals of royalty instead of receiving the bride as a shuddering victim consigned to the mercy of a perfect stranger james v and james the sixth had encountered considerable dangers to make acquaintance with their wives and induce some friendship and confidence before the nuptial knot was tied this family example was implicitly followed by charles when he undertook the romantic voyage incognito to spain accompanied by the duke of buckingham in order to woo maria althea the second daughter of philip the third of spain and the sister of the young sovereign philip the fourth on this expedition as they passed through paris the prince of wales and buckingham disguised in perukes and attired in dresses which they considered in keeping with their travelling names of tom smith and john brown obtained a view of the royal ladies of the french court the duc de Montbazon, lord chamberlain to the queen of france seeing two englishmen among the parisian crowd who thronged as usual to gaze on the royal family gave them places without recognizing their persons the prince and his friend witnessed the rehearsal of a ballet in which the beautiful young queen of france danced accompanied by her sister-in-law the princess henriette who was childish in person and had scarcely attained her fifteenth year although she had not seen the prince in his disguise yet when she heard of his adventures so captivating to the female heart she was heard to say with a sigh the prince of wales needs not to have gone so far as madrid to look for a wife the contemporary french memoirs of count de brienne and madame de montville surmising causes by events affirmed that the love which struck charles for henriette at this view occasioned the whole failure of his purpose in spain and that in consequence he entered that country resolved to break his engagement with the Infanta. But we must go a little nearer to the fountain head for truth in this matter. Anne of Austria, the young queen of France, sister to the one lady, sister-in-law to the other, spoke differently. Forgetting her sisterly interest in the Infanta, out of zeal for her new country, she said. She regretted that when the Prince of Wales saw her and Madame, that was Henriette, practice their mask, that her sister-in-law was seen to so much disadvantage by him, afar off, and by a dim light, when her face and person have most loveliness considered nearer. The attention of Charles was assuredly wholly absorbed in surmising whether the infanta he was going to woo bore any resemblance to her eldest sister, this beautiful young queen of France. His feeling is apparent in a letter he wrote to his father after this adventure, in which he says since the closing of our last we have been at court again i assure you we have not been known where we saw the young queen of france little monsieur that is gaston duke of Orleans, and madame royale henriette marie at the practising of a mask and in that danced the queen and madame with as many as made up nineteen fair dancing ladies amongst whom the queen of france is the handsomest which hath wrought in me a greater desire to see her sister it is useless to follow the future husband of Henrietta, France, through the delusive mazes of his imaginative passion for the Infanta, Maria Althea. The woeful matrimony of the Spanish princess, Catherine of Aragon, with Henry Eighth had filled the Spaniards with distrust of an English alliance on the one hand, and the horrid persecution of the Protestants during the wedlock of Philip II with Mary I, had given the English people still greater cause for disgust at Spanish marriages. The treaty with the Infanta was broken off by reason of the extreme unpopularity of the Union in both countries, although the court poet of Madrid, Lope de Vega, composed verses on the wooing which have obtained a historical celebrity, and the following quatrain was sung to many a guitar at Madrid. Carlos Estorado soy, que siendo amor mi a guía, al cielo de España voy, perver Estea María. Charles himself translated the lines, Charles Stuart I am, love guides me afar, to the heavens of Spain, for Maria my star. It was in vain that poetry, romance and mutual preference, impelled the marriage. The reasons we have detailed above prevented it. Charles had his heart returned on his hands, and the Infanta, after she lost hopes of becoming his wife, resolved to devote herself to a religious life some authors actually believe that maria althea died a nun professed she however lived to be empress of germany the first idea of a marriage taking place between henriette of france and charles prince of wales was suggested to him by her eldest sister elizabeth this princess as the young queen of spain wife of philip the fourth was greatly admired by charles while in madrid He wished to converse with her, but she was so sedulously guarded by the jealousy of the Spaniards that it was with the greatest difficulty, he obtained the opportunity of addressing to her a few words in French. Although a Frenchwoman, the young queen dared not to be heard to answer in her native language. She said, however, in a very low voice, I must not converse with you in French without permission, but I will endeavor to obtain it. She succeeded and made use of the opportunity to tell him that she wished that he would marry her sister henriette which indeed he would be able to do because his engagement with the infanta would be certainly broken charles in the course of this conversation expressed a hope that he might again renew it at the theatre where in the royal box it appears the interview took place but she warned him very kindly never speak to her again for it was customary in spain to poison all gentlemen suspected of gallantry towards the queens after this charitable intimation which was perhaps rather premature the prince of wales never saw the queen again for when she went to the theatre she sat secluded in a latticed box this incident was related by charles himself to his wife after his marriage it is a curious illustration of the manner in which young queens were trained in spain and the romantic notions instilled into their minds the spanish wooing certainly smoothed the way for the marriage of charles and henriette it had accustomed the english people to the idea of a catholic queen moreover the alliance with the daughter of the protestant hero henry the fourth of france was not by many degrees so offensive as that with the granddaughter of the persecutor of their faith philip the second the ice had in some degree been broken with the pope this pontiff who was one of the best men that ever filled the papal chair had a great objection to the marriage with either princess predicting the utmost misery to charles if he wedded a catholic but the powerful catholic sovereigns of france and spain induced some degree of compliance from him the marriage articles of the infanta and the program of the ceremony was previously agreed on at rome formed a precedent for the terms of the wedlock which actually took place between charles and henriette before the engagement with the Infanta was formally broken off, James I sent Henry Rich, Lord Kensington, to France on a secret mission to ascertain whether the hand of Henriette Marie of France could be obtained for his son. Marie de Medicis, the Queen Mother, since the early death of her enemy Lunet, the boy minister of her son, governed the state with greater power than in her ostensible regency, and with her, Lord Kensington was directed to discuss the alliance when the spanish ambassador resident in paris guessed the errand of lord kensington he endeavoured to raise distrust at the court of france by exclaiming to some of the french courtiers how does the prince of wales then mean to wed two wives since he is nearly married to our infanta these words being carried to the queen-mother of france had no worse effect than inducing a curious dialogue of explanation between her and lord kensington After some diplomatic manoeuvring on both sides, Marie de Medici drew from the English envoy an admittance that the Spanish engagement was wholly broken, and that King James was desirous of matching his heir with her daughter. The Queen Mother observed, that however agreeable such union might be to all parties, yet as no intimation of such desire had been sent to the court of France, she could not consider the matter seriously. Adding significantly, the maiden must be sought, she may be no suitor. The ambassador then owned that he was authorized in what he said, and that his mission, though at present secret, was direct from his king and the Prince of Wales. The object of Lord Kensington's visit to the French court soon became public there. Of course, it occasioned very earnest discussion among the ladies of the royal household, who eagerly crowded round the handsome Englishman and questioned him regarding the person and acquirements of the Prince of Wales, the ambassador wore a beautiful miniature of charles enclosed in a gold case hanging from a ribbon at his bosom often when he entered the circle at the louvre the french ladies used to petition him to open the miniature that they might look at the resemblance of the future husband of their young princess charles's portrait had been seen by everyone but by the lady most interested in it but henriette of france was forbidden by the laws of etiquette to mention a prince who had not yet openly demanded her hand she complained that the queen and all the other ladies could go up to the ambassador open the miniature and consider it as much as they liked while she whom it so nearly concerned could hardly steal a glance at it afar off in this dilemma she recollected that the lady at whose house the english ambassador sojourned had been in her service and she begged of her to borrow prince charles's picture that she might gaze on it as much and as long as she chose this was done and when the lady brought it to her henriette retired to her cabinet and ordered her to be called in and to remain alone with her where continues the ambassador she opened the case in such haste as showed a true indication of her passion blushing at the instant of her own guiltiness, she kept it an hour in her hands, and when she returned it, gave many praises of your person. Sir, this is a business so fit for secrecy, as I know it shall never go farther than unto the king your father, my lord Duke of Buckingham, and my lord of Carlisle's knowledge. A tenderness in this is honorable, for I would rather die a thousand times than it should be published, since I am by the young princess trusted, who is for beauty and goodness an angel. It was the intention of Lord Kensington to promote favorable inclinations between the Prince of Wales and the Princess of France, before they met, by dwelling on their fine qualities to each other. This course he pursued very successfully, by means of his prettily written letters addressed to Charles, and by his eloquent discussions on the beauty, graces, and accomplishments of that prince, during his interviews with the Queen Mother and her ladies, and subsequently with Henriette herself. He says in one of his letters to the prince at this period, She is a lady of as much beauty and sweetness to deserve your affections as any woman under heaven can be. In truth, she is the sweetest creature in France and the loveliest thing in nature. Her growth is little short of her age, and her wisdom infinitely beyond it. I heard her the other day discourse with her mother and the ladies about her, with extraordinary discretion and quickness. She dances, the which I am witness of as well as ever i saw any one they say she sings most sweetly i'm sure she looks as if she did in the course of a few days he heard this wonderful voice and adds to his information i had been told much of it but i found it true that neither her singing master nor any man or woman either in france or europe sings so admirably as she doth her voice is beyond all imagination that is all i will say of it The musical and vocal powers of the Queen Mother, Marie de Medicis, were likewise of the First Order, and her daughter inherited from her gifts so lavishly bestowed on the children of Italy. While Lord Kensington was thus negotiating between the affections of the royal pair, without having any ostensible responsibility regarding a marriage treaty between them, he experienced very uncivil behavior from the disappointed suitor of the princess, her cousin, the young Count of Soissons, when lord kensington bowed to him as one of the princes of the blood he received the salute very scornfully turning away his head count de grammont his friend advised him not to make his displeasure so manifest upon which soissons declared that the negotiation for the hand of henriette went so near to his heart that were it not in behalf of so great a prince he would cut the ambassador's throat nay he continued were it any prince of savoy mantua or germany here in person soliciting for themselves in this marriage i would hazard my life against them end of section one